Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. Uh, right. Okay. I, I didn't know if that was going to break positive or negative there for a little while. Also joining us, Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. Okay, right. Well, it was confusing, but he sounded confident, so there's that. Not Once again, we're not joined by regular co-host Lee Younger. See Under- if you can guess which ones we record on the same night. I'm, I'm <laughs> under protest. Are you? Yeah, yeah. You don't sound that fired up about it. Well, you know, technically, under, okay, under protest. Sure. The enough. gentleman from the gentleman from Houston has lodged <laughs> his protest paperwork, and the the body acknowledges it. But we move on. We have good questions. We have, yeah, good, good. I'm good. Yeah. All right. First question comes in. On the basis of declaring a little game of interruption chicken to start the show. Is it a health emergency? It's a health emergency. Did you say it's a wellness emergency? It's a wellness emergency. This is going to shock and explode the brains of okay. most people listening to this podcast. Okay. I'm a, I'm a man of fairly advanced age. I'm also from Texas. Okay. There are certain things that a man my age and is also from Texas does not engage in. Okay. You know, shenanigans. Sure. Uh, Hacky sack. I, there's, there's none of that in my life. Okay. You know what I mean? Jerry Jones exists. We can't, you can't tell people that old men from Texas don't engage in shenanigans. Uh, here's what I'm saying. Also, Arkansas. Here's what I'm saying. I have yoga. What? It's a shocker. I have engaged. Like accidentally? I well, no, it was like you fell down and just realized you were a, a sun salutation. We've all done accidental yoga. Sure, that's true. Uh, it, sometimes you, you, when you're younger, you make it out in the back seat and you get a Charlie horse and you, you just use it. But here's what I'm saying. I, is that what you think yoga is? Because I'm going to put a kibosh on this emergency immediately. Here's what I'm saying. I have done real, actual yoga. Wow. I've done it for about six days. Okay. I, wow. I, I'm pretty much uh, an expert. Would you consider yourself a yogi? I would consider myself a, a total yogi. Would okay. you consider yourself a yogi bear? Look, I look. What is I'm, your picnic basket I'm, consumption? I'm a, look, you guys are making fun, but for me, this is deadly serious business. Okay, okay. Look, I'm not saying I'm ready to go pro. Well, sure, yet. But I'm I'm ready to get in a yoga tournament right away. Though. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know what the the ins and outs are of it, but I sure. think I could rise to the level of competition and crush other people in yoga. You're ready to get in the octagon the of yoga. Yeah, because I assume that's what, what happens with yoga. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You compete to see who wins. Total blood sport. I mean, because that's anything that involves sports, for me, yeah. it's about crushing the competition. Sure, yeah. You know, in the very, the very, very earliest UFCs, it was not quite, there was no such thing as mixed martial arts yet, so it was literally like you'd have a sumo against a karate practitioner versus a jiu-jitsu guy versus a boxer. I like the idea of somebody who really got their wires crossed. And they booked <laughs> you. Like, yoga. they just did. The Gracies didn't know what yoga was. They're like, from India, great. Book him. Right, yeah. And he guys gets in there and just starts stretching. <laughs> right, yeah. And somebody just kicks his head off. Yeah. Like, we right. did not ask enough questions about yeah. that. I mean, it really Competitive strong. yoga, I guess. He's got a really good core, but that didn't help sure, him. His heart so rate was super low. That yeah. just helped him choke him out faster. But here's what it is, fellas. Tell me. Um... I don't want to confuse you because there's a lot of technical terms. Right. You got your uh, cow cat. Okay. Which is like, pretend like you had a cow and a cat in right. a genetic thing. You put them together. Right. Well, that's what that is. Ah. You got your downward facing warrior dog. Sure. Yeah. So there's all kinds of moves. Yeah. I'm pretty much. I'm not trying to say I'm an expert, but well, pretty much. Yeah, I'm, I hope not. I'm pretty, you know, I'm ready for it to take off. You got a, the lingo down, that's for sure. Here's another thing I notice is because I'm aware that there exists in the world uh, such a thing as yoga pants. Yes. You know, yeah. The ladies put on the yoga pants and yes. do the yoga pants. Well, I'm trying to yoga. I'm wearing just, you know, blue jeans, sure. dungarees, if you will. Sure. 
Sure. Uh, nice pre-shrunk set of Levi's 501s. Well, you know what? The flexibility is pretty low. On that. You know, that is true. Well, it's, it's like running with angle weights. Okay. So here's what I'm saying. Yoga pants for men. Sure. Absolutely. Same no, basic. Exist. You know, oh, do they? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The same fit and everything. Oh, yeah. Hugging all the areas and whatnot. Sure. That's right. Get your stretch on. Well, I got to look into that. Because I was just getting some long johns and, and, and dyeing them black, you know, just trying yeah, to. He's wanting to fit in. Yeah, sure. that's what I'm trying to fit in. He went into Carhartt. Y'all got even yoga pants? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, Glenn, it sounds like it's a super cool thing. It's a it's a great yeah. step. It's a it's a healthy thing. You yeah. know, you, it seems like it's been positive, and you're yes. feeling good about. I it. I like when we're supportive on the podcast. Yeah, and given that that's what we're dealing with, it's time for Legalistic Jed to show up. Oh, oh no, no, <laughs> he's going to ruin a nice yoga what, moment. What what summoned Legalistic Jed this time? Uh, well, Matthew, I'm glad that you asked. Um, I'm sorry to have to be the one to bring this up. I don't think that should be necessary. But, it's not. No one asked. Um, I'm sure you both know, without me mentioning it, that Yet yoga it, comes from Eastern mysticism. <laughs> right. And is a part of pagan spiritual practices, Glenn. Right. Well, I mean, in the strictest definition of pagan as anything non-Christian, I guess. Yes, yes. I I always assume the most strict of definitions, Matthew. <laughs> um, Actually, Matt is short for Nathaniel. <laughs> <laughs> people don't know that. <laughs> but um, I find it quite untoward. Right. Um, quite oh. unseemly. Uh, all um, words that normal people use in their everyday vocabularies. Uh, to have this discussion of your witchcraft. Right, right. On this Christian uh, well, podcast. I thought that you were legalistic, Jed. I thought you were going to point out some of the positions might seem a little provocative. I've Not if you're doing them in the jeans. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, haunches quivering. Sure, uh, sure. The pelvis is uh, hoisted. Again, I'm, I question if what you did was yoga. Well, here's what I'm wondering is, I mean, given that, that some Christians, certainly legalistic. Yeah, Jed, this is a real thing, by the way. Oh, really yeah, we're not making this up. up. Yeah. So given that, I'm wondering, can we make up um, stretching positions yeah. that would be church approved? Oh, and then you got to have the names for them. Exactly like, right. Like they have them with the, with the poses and e- stuff. Exactly right, Yes. Right. Well, you know, they they have to be overly Bible and overly corny. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, yeah. So you'd have uh, downward facing lamb. Sure. Yeah. Mm. Uh, triumphant worship leader. Oh, that's oh, good. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so you, those arms are going to stay up for a long time. Well, I was about to say you got to you got to work the 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 raised hands element sure. into that. Absolutely. You know? Well, there is there's there's a thing such thing called the tree pose. So you, your tree of life. Oh, situation. Very right. good. Right. Can we work this into like Christian culture? Because like they have building campaigns, right? So you just you you some form of steeple pose. Oh, that's you know, very good. That's very nice. Something that's like very that good. to build a new steeple. The wallet reach. Yeah. <laughs> ah, now the we're donation more. collector. Yeah, we're getting more. Hands the upturned, outstretched in front of you. Yes. Pontificating pastor. Yeah, that I like. Yeah, that feels good. That feels good. Yeah, I mean, you know, here's here's what it is, fellas, is I'm really getting in touch with my body. Oh, okay. Because I've been meaning to do that for a long time. Again, I worry that this is not an official yoga practice. And this also has to be said, this is as far out of character for me as you can get. Like, I had a thing with my neck a little while back. I went to a physical therapist. And when I do it, I do it all the way. So I'm doing, like, all the stuff she gives me. Sure. And she said, you know, at some point in the process, she said, you know, you're doing so good with this. Have you tried Reiki? Mm. And I said, I don't know what that is. Sure. And she said, well, it's healing energies. Ah. I thought it was a garden tool. (laughs) Well, the, you, I thought you, it was one of the lesser combatants from the original Street Fighter. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's Reiki wins. <laughs> yep. So this is like me. I'm really getting in touch with, uh, with, uh, you know, with my body. You're doing it, man. I'm doing it 
it, and again, I, I, I don't know if there's some sort of a tournament a bracketing system, a ranking. You get a, you know, you get seated in the bracket. Yeah. To get in there, and I assume it's like a, a you know, like diving or gymnastics. Okay. Where they just write your, you know, form and are, whatnot. Are you working out a floor routine? Oh yeah, yeah. You got to do that. Okay, you know? okay. So you basically, I'm just working my way up to pretzel. Okay, you know what I okay. mean, that's, <laughs> I assume that's the ultimate one. So what? Because obviously, when you do like your full floor routine, you got to have a song. You do it to what? What song? Are you going to pick for this? Well, you know it's Eye of the Tiger. I mean, it can't be anything other than Eye of the Tiger. <laughs> that's I, I assume that's a yoga classic. Like, you go into a bit... Because I did this all... This has to be said. I did all this on YouTube. Because mm. I don't do the class thing. Amateur this, yoga. You know, sure. Yeah. So, you know... It, 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 and the gal... This is not a joke. The gal is from Texas. That okay. helped me a lot. Okay. So, okay. That's, you know, this was really... Uh, but here's what I'm saying. Is uh, I assume if you go to a yoga studio, yeah, that they have like a sound system going for the background inspiration, and that it would almost certainly feature "Eye of the Tiger." Well, it is. It's just "Eye of the Tiger" on Peruvian pan flute. <laughs> I see. Well, a that might, that might be know, a little different. Yeah, it sands the edges off it. Well, I, I am. And this is not something I normally say on the show. I'm in some ways relieved to hear legalistic Jed's take on this whole thing. Yeah, that it's evil, uh, you know, witchcraft, demonic, and whatnot. Yeah. Um, because I also the last, and I've, I've done yoga off and on some some places here and there. It's part of it's more exercise, but uh, my wife got a membership to a yoga studio around here. Where they had like a free class ah. you can also do. Which is you want to go to the free class, and I have not been very very long, but I understood and intuited that the correct answer was yes. Yep. Was that the accurate answer? Well, that's lost to the sands of time. The correct yeah. answer was yes. Yes. I'm excited to go on this adventure. All of our wives loved like these exercise classes. Totally. They, they love doing that stuff. It's yet one of the many ways they're all better than us. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so I, again, I've done a little bit of yoga before I worked out. A lot of different kinds of workouts, martial arts and stuff. You do a lot of stretching. So I, you know, it's, it's an hour class. It's not the hot yoga, but it's the room they used for hot yoga like two hours ago. So we're still a little... Warm above room temperature, and you know you got your sun salutations and your vinyasas, and I'm I'm making it through those okay. And then you get the tree pose, and I do the thing, and I can lift an arm out. And then about forty five minutes into my this hour class, my body decides you're done here. Yeah, <laughs> and I go to what they very helpfully call a tabletop position, which I call collapsing on all fours, but it looks the same. Right. I think okay, I'm gonna gather myself. Right. My body said, I don't think you heard me. You're done here. <laughs> At which point I got up from the very front row in which we were in, walked out to the back of this studio into the restroom and vomited and uh-huh. then uh, laid on the couch in the waiting room waiting for the sweet release of death. Well, now, not to interrupt here, but when you vomited, do you feel like you had a good alignment? Ah, see what I'm well, saying? Well, yeah. not when I started, but I think as it was happening, it really, you know, really pulled the abdomen in. Yeah, yep, that's yep, what yep. you got to you know, do. Hold your core tight and yep, elongate your spine. Yep, yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really yeah. what we were going for there. Yeah. Um. So, but I thought that was because I was woefully out of shape, and it turns out I'm just too holy. Oh, there it is. My body rejected the paganistic principle. You were expelling the demons. Yeah. And I wish I'd have been able to tell them that at the time. Wow. They said, sir, it seems like you're on the brink of death. I said, should have said, no, I'm just almost too sacred for this plane of existence. Yeah. So the message that this podcast needs to send specifically to Matt's wife is don't make him do yoga because of Satan. Yes. Yes. Again, she thought, don't make him do yoga because he will die right. at the age of 35. Yeah. But also Satan. Yeah. Satan. We've wound up with legalistic Jed being right, and that feels like the perfect place to end an emergency. Yeah, it's very uncomfortable, but I <laughs> yeah. will say this. I don't know if he's right about Satan being in charge of all yoga. I don't think it's good for But I'm very comfortable with saying that uh, Satan has a strong hand of what's going on at the core power yoga in Oak Park. <laughs> oh, well. Um, so. And on that note, before the uh, Say That Legal team gets involved, 
I declare emergency off. Good man. Love the idea of being sued by a yoga studio. I think they'd just be really chill about it. <laughs> Namaste. I just feel that wasn't a constructive statement. It's pronounced no naste. It's super okay. not. That's, that's, where that's I, not even the same letters. Yeah. It's like, uh, don't be nasty. Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> you know what? I can guarantee you, uh, we have had zero cases of someone having to leave the room where Bridgebox was playing and go vomit because of physical limitations. That we know of. That we know of. I said zero reported cases. I didn't say zero cases. And, uh, <laughs> specificity in language is very, very important. But if you want something that's is also spiritually fulfilling, but is less taxing on your body than doing a one-hour hot yoga class, Bridgebox. It takes about the same time. You oh, yeah. Two 10-minute sermons. You got some songs. You got a Bible study. All sorts of good stuff in your inbox. First every month, missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. All right. Jump to our first question here. Thank you all the way to the end. I'll give you some ways you can get in touch with us, or you can scroll down in your episode description wherever you're listening to this and click the links there. Our first question comes in anonymously and it says, sometimes I feel really lonely and I don't know what to do. Friends from my old life are bad for me. I don't know where to start making better friendships. And uh, Jed, this is actually a question we've looked at in a couple of forums at the, the bridge, we've looked at it on the bridge loud on the radio show. And uh, I think we should start the same place we started uh, with both the places, which is uh really celebrating the bravery of saying the words, I feel lonely out loud, right? No doubt. No doubt. We're sorry for what you're dealing with, but we're really, really proud of you for being honest about what you're dealing with. Um, I think it's true that a whole lot of the biggest mistakes we see people make in life come from being lonely and not willing to admit it. Uh, that's everybody experiences loneliness. That's, that's a constant of the, of the human experience, but when we're lonely and we're not willing to admit that we're lonely, that's when we really get into some problems. So we're, we're super, super proud of you for, for admitting that that's where you're at. And again, there's no shame in that. Every human being has experienced loneliness. Um, the good news is that there is definitely some stuff that you can do about that. The bad news is it may not be stuff that you'd particularly like to do, but good news again it's all a skill, which means it's something you can learn and you can get better at. So you will probably be the worst at it right now that you ever will be, because the more you do it, the better you get at it. So it all works out. So it's great. So let's dig in. The, the key to what you want is intentionality. Uh, and it's important that we look at that because that is actually not something most people have in their relationships. Um, for most of us, our friends in school were the people with the lockers next to us. And our friends at work are the people with the cubicles next to us. Um, it was as though the cosmos thrust these people upon us and now we must be friends. And when you're seven, that's fine. When you're 27, that's probably not the best way to choose the people that you spend your time with. And in fact, it, it is important to choose because, uh, the Bible says this, so does psychology. Um, you will become like the people you spend your time around. Uh, this is unavoidable. Uh, so, and you have already sensed this. You say that your your friends from your old life are are bad for you. Um, it is true that if you spend your time around bad influences, they will influence you badly, uh, and you will not like it. It is also true, and this is again both you know sociology and the Bible. If you spend your time around positive, healthy people, you will become more like them. It's it's a really really cool thing. The one thing is. Where do I find these healthy, positive people, and how do I convince them to accept me? All right, these are these are reasonable questions. Um, so the first thing is, uh, we may need to do a little bit of a thought experiment on what are the kinds of people that would we would like to be more like. You know, so for example, if you are a person who's in addiction recovery, it would be really good to spend time around people who are committed to their addiction recovery. Well, you would probably find those people at an AA meeting or at a celebrate recovery meeting. Um, if you're a Christian and you're, you're looking to get more serious about service to other people and, and volunteerism, um, and you want to be around people like that, you'd probably find them at places where they're volunteering. Um, you'd probably find them, you know, helping out at the, at the soup kitchen. You'd probably find them helping out at the homeless shelter. So you can, you can think about the kind of person you would like to become and, and the kind of people you'd like to be around given that. And you can probably kind of work backwards and figure out where those people are. The next step, which I know is scary, is you have to go to there. It's, it's cool to have thought through where those people would be, but now you have to go there. You have to physically show up and be on site. And I know that is nobody's idea of a good time. It's certainly not mine, but it's worth it. 
The next thing that you have to do, having gone there, you have to, to do whatever the thing is. So the, the A meeting or the, the soup kitchen that's serving a meal or whatever it is. And then, and I know this is the worst news in the world, and I'm sorry for it, but you have to intentionally build relationships with people. So um, no, you probably shouldn't walk up to a stranger and say, would you be my friend? Because that's probably not the right way to do it. But you can walk up to people and introduce yourself. I'm Jim. I'm new here. This seems like a nice thing. How long have you been doing this? Now you have a conversation. I know that's awkward. I, I know um, there there are a few people out there that have never met a stranger and they just love meeting new people. For the rest of us, I know this is the worst thing in the world. I I, I get that and I and I appreciate that. But it's worth pushing through. It's worth summoning the courage to go to the new place and meet the new people and be proactive and be intentional and build those relationships. They'll start shallow at first. That's okay. This is how we grow that social network. This is how we find people that we want to be more like and begin to spend more time around them. You can do this. And critically, and I want to underscore a couple of quick things. First of all, what I'm describing is a skill. They call social skills a skill for a reason. They are a skill. The more you do them, the better you will get at them. You don't need to be amazing at them. Um, there's a huge difference between amazing and functional. Um, you can, if you're not functional today, you can get there and, and sooner than you think. And we, we, we will get better at it. The second thing is it doesn't matter if you're an introvert. It makes no difference. You need positive, healthy friends. So do I. This is how you make them. This is how you do that. It doesn't matter if you're an introvert or not. That doesn't, it may mean that it's a more draining process for you. And I'm appreciative of that. And I'm sorry for that, 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 but that doesn't make any difference. You, you still need positive, healthy friends. This, this is how you make them. The last thing that we want to be really, really careful of is we don't want to baptize our fear. So, um, the idea of saying, well, I thought about doing the thing that would definitely result in me having more friends, but then I didn't have a lot of peace about it. So I was like, maybe God didn't want me to do that. That's not the right way to look at this. You need fellowship in your life. You need positive friends. You need healthy friends. This is how you do that. Intentionality, seeking out where those people are and going and building those relationships. This is how you do it. Ask the Lord to give you courage for that. Ask him to give you strength. If you're an introvert and it's exhausting to you, ask him to give you strength. But then take that next step and go to where those people are. Absolutely right. That is all fantastic stuff. I think that is all the perfect place to start. And Glenn, where would we build on it from there? Well, I think it's important to recognize that there is an there's actually an extremely high demand in the world for encouragement. Yeah. People actually are starving for a certain amount of encouragement in their life. That in would we say encouragement under that umbrella? We might put um, uh, acceptance. Or we might put affirmation yep. in there. Uh, just basic positive feedback. Y- you dress nice. You, I like the way that you do this thing. Whatever that is. So all those things being under the umbrella of encouragement, there are people, many, 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 many people in whatever orbit you're in who are almost dying for a lack of that. Yeah. The world itself is starving for that kind of encouragement. The reason why is because encouragers are an extremely small supply. Yeah. Here's the thing. The easiest thing on the planet to do is encourage people. I like your hat. <laughs> That's it. You just did it. You nailed Bye. it. You have knocked it out of the park. Woo! There's not a better version of that. I like your hat. What a, do, you know. My, what a fetching example of modern men's headwear. I mean, it's it's all the same. You like the hat. You say yeah. it's a hat, it's good, I like it, I like that. Well haberdashered, good sir. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you can make it more formal, but you're saying the same thing. Good hat, dude. That's it. That's all you, you know. I almost pulled something turning haberdasher into a verb. That was excellent. <laughs> that was you. excellent. You know, this is uh, <laughs> me like hat. <laughs> no one can that is listening to this podcast can see the shirt that I'm wearing, but I, I'm wearing a t-shirt. It has sort of a design. That's what on you it. think. <laughs> it has a design on it. And a few months ago, and now maybe about six months ago, I was I was in Austin, uh, in Texas, and I'm walking down the street and. A person w- w- comes straight up to me, points to my T-shirt, and says, 
your shirt is my whole life, man. Which I took to mean that's positive. That, that yeah, that, that it was expressing something that he held dear to his heart. That made my whole day. Yeah. I'm like, wow. I'm you know, you know, old people don't get compliments from young people who are cool and hip and a hip part of Austin and stuff. This is the easiest thing in the world to do. Uh, if you uh, think, just use this phrase. I can make it this easy. The thing I really admire about you is X, and then just say it. Now, here's what you're going to find out that will counteract that, is you will actually be humbling yourself. Because yeah. what you want is everyone to tell you how great you are. They should like my hat! That's right. But the thing is, people are waiting for somebody else to go first. Be the one that goes first, and you'll be everybody's friend. Yep. And here's another funny thing, is they'll like your hat too, yep. so everybody works out. So that's the I'm giving you the secret sauce here. It's never going to be any easier than that. It's never going to work any better than that. Just encourage people. Off of that, here's a secret that I'm giving you all the secrets now. People love to talk about themselves. Yep. I mean, they really love to do that. If you give them an opportunity, they're going to do it, and they're going to think you're great. Yeah. And the thing is, if you ask interesting questions, you'll get interesting answers in a lot of cases. If you invite people to explain something about them that is interesting, you will be interested to hear it, and you might learn something, might grow in some sort of way. You know, it'll be a benefit to you as well. But if you just sit and listen to someone talk about themselves, they will feel close to you. Yeah. They will say, this is like my friend now. Yeah. So that's, again, can't miss. There's, and there's no talking. You, you yeah. really almost have to do almost nothing. So yeah. what's your story, dude? Yeah. That's it. And then they'll talk for 20 minutes. You, can, you got 20 minutes to think of the next question. Yeah. Nothing gets any easier than this. Final thing, and I, I want to touch on what, what, what Jeb was talking about with the introverted thing, because I hear that a lot. I think we can use that as sort of an excuse, or I can use it as an excuse and say, okay, here's, here's, um, here's me saying I get a pass on this because I'm a special case, and I, sure. that means I have a special struggle. That means you might go after developing friendships a little differently, but everything that I'm telling you before this applies to that introverted mindset. In other words, these will help establish deep yep. relationships fairly easily, fairly quickly. And if that's the kind of introverted person that you are, you'll develop those kinds of relationships that, that you would crave more. And, uh, and there's no stopping that from working out. That's all really fantastic stuff from these guys. And I would, I would tack on a little bit at the end here. And one of the things is on some level, we need to make a differentiation between the two things you asked in your question. You close out by asking, how do I start making better, healthier friendships? Great question. And these guys uh, totally got all over giving some great answers to that. The first part is talking about feeling lonely. Yeah. Those are different things. Yeah. They're related, but they are different. And um, we, we don't necessarily have to solve the bigger, hairier question all the way to uh, solve this, which is to say you don't actually need deep, healthy friendships to not feel lonely. Um, lonely loneliness is a feeling like any other feeling comes on you. You got to do something about it. Um, we want to get to a place of good, healthy friendships. That's That's definitely for sure. But there are way littler things you can do to ease that feeling of isolation and loneliness than you would think. They've actually done studies that just talking to the person who hands you your change at the grocery store and just not even interacting, but being in a public place where there are people uh, reduces those feelings of isolation. So if you live in a, in a place that has, uh, you know, kind of a city center or something like that, that has an opportunity to do that, uh, that actually will help. And as kind of as Jed started talking about, some of that's a little counterintuitive. You think I feel alone. I feel isolated. The last thing I want to do is go, where other people are on dates or having interactions or whatever. And I will just feel so wistful and it will start raining and accordion music will play as I stare out the window. And, but just on a, on a functional level, on a physiological level, you will feel less isolated if you are not physically isolated, if you are in a place where people are. So those little things of, you know, uh, all of your people who listen to this podcast do a fair amount of work from home and, uh, 
that can that can work on your mind after a little while. So the the discipline of of take a walk of yeah, I could I could get this food delivered and they would drop it off, but maybe it would be good for me to drive to the place and hand the person the thing and they I remember my order from last time or whatever it is. Those little itty bitty parasocial relationships don't don't poo poo those when you're in a time of really feeling like you're like you're kind of in a, in, a, in a desert state. If even if it's just a little drop of rain, that's that's going to be something, and that helps as you go on to implement the what these guys are talking about with wanting and building good, healthy friendships, it really helps if you're not totally desperate for any human interaction at all to then look at things more objectively, evaluate, is would this be a good setup? Is this going well? You don't just kind of get involved in relationship with the first person that talks to you or the, you know, and some of that is, is putting yourself out there and going for those, those little things. You know, I had a, coming back on the the train here in Chicago from from a thing and a guy noticed I had a, a I actually had a bag where I bought something that was uh, part of this this wrestling promotion and he had, we were actually both coming from the same show we didn't know that but he had like an extra poster they were giving away things he was like hey man I actually got like three of these do you want one it's like yeah that's actually really cool and we had a three minute conversation about oh this was cool and you like that guy and it was one of those things did nobody exchange numbers then this wasn't the beginning of a beautiful friendship but it was a moment where you can kind of tell this guy wanted to talk about something with somebody. He was with a, a, a lady friend who was clearly tired of hearing about this. Uh, <laughs> and my wife's on the train with me and I was working real hard to make sure she didn't feel the same. But there was that moment of, I wanted an interaction with someone to do this and I did it and yeah. it didn't lead to anything. And I don't have a new best friend, but that was something. And it yeah. put a little spring in your step. And as we often talk about that, those little things are going to be fuel to do the bigger thing. And when you have that little win, you're like, okay, if I can, you know, yeah, see the guy walking down the shirt and be like, hey, Astro's awesome. And he doesn't punch me in the back of the head or whatever we convince ourselves people are going to do. It's like, oh, maybe if I like went to the the sports bar where they're watching the Astros game, maybe other people would like to interact around baseball. It's really better to build up that series of wins rather than I think that goes to the introversion thing, too, of that idea of putting so much pressure on this one. I'm going to go to the the meeting or the club or whatever. And it's, and this has got to work out, man. That's, that's not really the healthy instinct to go into anything with. So don't, don't look down on the little wins along the way. We're going to jump to our next question here comes in anonymously. And it says, how can I live by Psalm 27? The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? I feel like there are lots of fears in my life that make sense. And Glenn, where do we kick off with this? Yes, uh, very sensible fear. That's ah. that's that's the best kind of fear. Sensible fear, a novel by Al Gore. <laughs> you, you've you applied rigorous logic and a, and arrived at fear, of course. Except that's not really how fear works. Ah. Um, here's the thing. I think um, when we're talking about fear. Uh, again, very broad brush here. So let's look at how can we break that down a little bit to make sure we're talking about the same thing. So let's maybe divide right down the middle of fear, and we're going to put cowardice on one side and worry on the other. The cowardice is, uh, we might define that as a lack of a moral bravery. So you know the right thing to do, but you lack the bravery to follow through with the thing you know is right and good and correct and whatever have you. Uh, and people will in, often look at that kind of situation and say, there's this factor, there's this situation, there's this thing that is happening that makes this seem like a coward's choice was the right choice or the only choice I had or the the the, the lesser of two evils, those kinds of things. So, yes, to a certain extent that happens. But I think it's more likely that we're dealing with a worry type of situation from the way that you're worry, wording this. And the thing about worry is you worries is just based on it's all future based the things that might happen in the future well there's a lot of confusion hiding behind the word might there um in other words uh let's put it this way anything might happen yes like an asteroid 
That might happen. Sure. Like uh, an explosion. That might happen. The roof could cave in at any... That could happen. All of these things could actually happen. If we worried about all of them, we would die. We, so we can't worry about all the things that might happen. We could start calculating uh, the risks of that. We would want uh, Matt's wife to do that because she does that for a living. She knows all the things. Matt. Yeah, she calculates how Glenn's going to die for a living. It's, <laughs> it's niche, uh, but it's important work. It's uh, <laughs> Believe me, <laughs> that there would be a lot of math behind that, considering the life that I live. But uh, yeah, the, there's a, a real uh, struggle, I think, that we have when we feel like this is this is a fear that's based on something I think has a real possibility of happening. The problem that comes in is where is that sense of what might happen coming from? In other words, if there's a 0.01% chance that this could actually happen to me, whatever the thing is, I'm going to be struck by lightning, I'm going to be in a car accident, the plane's going to crash, whatever the thing is, I can run those numbers and they say, here's what the odds are that, that there's a chance of one in a hundred that this would happen. But here's what's funny, is if I hear about this possibility happening a hundred times, it feels like it's 100% likely to happen. Each of those little 1% kind of all add up to, oh no, it's going to definitely happen now. So worry has this way of feeling logical and feeling like it's based on math in that sense, but it is completely unmoored from real probability. It is not rational. It is not sane. Fear doesn't function in that sort of way. Uh, also, this is very, very, very important for you to recognize in your Christian walk. The odds do not apply to you. Yes. Your, your life doesn't uh, happen according to the rules of probability. The God of the universe has his hand in your life, and the more that you're dedicating yourself to him, and the more that you are connected to him, the more uh, events around you are shaped in certain specific sorts of ways. So there are challenges that you're meant to rise up to. There are blessings that you're meant to take hold of. So there are all kinds of things happening in, in our lives there. So uh, approaching that with fear is going to get us in the exact wrong position every single time. There's a there's a, a place in our life for smart precautions. There's a, a, a place in our life or wise planning for the future and, and, and being prepared in certain ways. But taking that to an extreme where we say, I need to spend time worrying about this as if the worry would somehow affect the outcome. That's not helpful, but it's also not sane. It's not rational. That's not based on logic either. This is These are irrational things. We need to have a, a, a sense of spiritual reality to combat. A very, very, very good place to start. And Jed, I think one of the things that is true in all cases with when it comes to something like fear, um, when we try to look at that is you can't just have not fear. Yeah. We do have to have something to the positive, as Glenn's pointing out here. And what would that be? Well, so ultimately the thing to the positive is courage. But we, we really need to be clear on kind of what courage is, because this is one of those topics where the, the English language kind of gets us into, into some trouble, right? Um, so you, the Bible does say repeatedly, do not fear or do not be afraid. Uh, and, and it says elsewhere that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So what, what are we meant to do with all of this? So fear in essence is, is just a feeling. It's, it's just an emotion that you have. And um, like all feelings and like all emotions, it, it kind of comes on you, um, in its, in its own way, you know, um, something startles you and you feel fear. Um, you know, a, 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 a dog that's on a chain kind of leaps out snarling at you and you didn't see it. And even though you aren't in danger because the, you know, the chain isn't long enough for it to get to you, you feel fear in that moment. Okay. That is. Un undoubtedly, if you've been to some messed up churches, you've heard people tell you, well, you're in sin because the Bible tells you not to fear. That's not true. And that's not what we're talking about. That's, that's not the thing. When the Bible talks about do not fear, what it's saying is don't let fear make your decisions for you. 
uh, and which is exactly what Glenn is talking about, is don't let this temporary emotional state define for you what is possible. Don't let this temporary emotional state define for you what is true. That's where we we start to get into difficulties. The other thing that has to be understood is that for the vast majority of people on planet Earth, they the only way that they can move forward is in spite of fear. In, in any situation, in any environment, it could be in spite of a little bit of fear. It could be in spite of a whole lot of fear. But for the vast majority of us, we always have some degree of, as Glenn put it, cowardice and worry and misgivings and trepidation about this thing that we're about to do. Uh, everybody's got at least some. The question is, you can do that thing anyway. Um, or are you going to let fear make your decisions for you? You're going to let fear call shots on you, which again, that's, that's when the Bible says, do not be afraid. Do, you know, that's the thing that it's referring to is letting this be in charge of your life. And, uh, the thing that we need in that moment to, to Matt's excellent question is we need courage. Um, courage is a form of strength that we get from God to not be bound by fear. That's it. Uh, fear wants to hold you back. It wants to tell you what to do. Courage is a strength that we get from God to do the thing anyway. Um, There are a lot of Christians who want to get you to a place or or convince you that it's possible to get to a place where you do not experience the emotions of fear. Um, I don't think that's possible and I don't think it's a good goal. Um, uh, What you can do is you can ask God for courage. You can ask God for that strength and then you can take the next step. Uh, There are two things that are worth noting uh, on this. The first is, if you don't know the next step, and and plenty of times in life we don't, well, then we're actually not to the point of worrying about fear or not fear just yet. Actually, we just need wisdom. Um, If we don't know what the next step even would be, then um, we're not ready to worry about courage. We we just need wisdom. We need guidance. That that could be um, godly wisdom that we're seeking through the Holy Spirit. That could also be very human wisdom, like a subject matter expert who knows how these things work and can break it down for us. But, But we need guidance. We need strategy. We need wisdom if we don't know what the next step is. But the other thing that's worth looking at is... If we're dealing with with a lot of fear and, and a lot of temptation to let that fear kind of make our decisions for us, is have we broken the next step down into something small? Um, so, if you say, you know, I want to, uh, I want to start doing yoga as as an example, well, that's not one thing. Um, that could mean you want to buy a yoga mat, or that could mean you want to Google uh, free yoga classes in your area as a trial. That could mean I want to talk to my friend who does yoga and ask them what a good place to start is. Those are all bite-sized steps. Those are all things that, that one can actually do. The phrase start doing yoga is not actually a thing that one can do. Because there's several steps that are uh, integrated into the action of starting to do yoga. And so the thing in my experience with with seeking courage from the Lord is courage is most effective when I've boiled it down to one next step. One next step that is relatively bite-sized, that is also um, measurable in terms of whether I did it or not. Um, How do you know when you've fully started doing yoga? Is it, is it your first pose? Is it the end of your first class, your first week, your first month? That, that's very hard to know. Whether or not you bought a yoga mat, that you know. You either did it or you didn't. Whether or not you Googled the free trial classes in your area, that you know. You either did it or you didn't. And we can, we can seek that courage to take that one small next step, recognizing that that's how anything big happens, is a series of tiny steps that probably all need courage for, for each and every one of them. We get some momentum. We may find it a little bit easier to take the third step than the first, but we we'll probably still need some courage along the way. But if we don't know what those steps are, then we need guidance and we need wisdom. Definitely two things that you need in a big, big way when you're doing that. And I think also, as kind of as we point out here, it's important to make that difference between the judge pointing out there between the feeling of fear and living in fear or letting fear call the shots and those, those deals. Because um, when you say, you know, there's fear, there's lots of fears in my life that make sense. Uh, if we're going to give that a very um, benefit of the doubt read, it could be one of those of 
yeah, there are things that just set off that fear trigger in you know the more lizardish part of your brain. That yeah, if you know, if you if you're about to step out on the street and you hear honking, you should that should make your heart jump. Danger, Will Robinson. Yeah, that's not that's there's nothing wrong with that. That's you know you should if you if you think you know that uh, that gentleman with the hook coming out of his uh, his overcoat standing over by the flickering light. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll just. Maybe I'll just go out the other exit. That's not giving into the fear. That's making a decision based on the reality. It started with maybe a emotional push of fear, but there are times where we where we need to push through that. And you know, we we actually talked about this at the bridge. And one of the things that came up over and over again is only people who are scared can be brave. Yes. So the idea again that Jed is talking about that that bad goal we may get of just to live a life with no fear. That's not a thing. You would act. You would need a traumatic brain injury. Yeah. To live a life with no fear. You want to live a life where fear doesn't tell you what to do. And you learn to navigate based on, okay, is this scary because it's a bad idea? Or is this scary because it would actually be a good thing, but it feels like a big step and I'm concerned about X, Y, Z. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with using fear and using those those emotions and being scared in your in your um, your decision-making and your conversations with the Lord, as both these guys really brought up. And at some points, that's going to be a focal point. But that idea of... Uh, whom shall I fear? As, as Jed points out, we often jumped real quick to that means you shouldn't fear anything. To what if you just took kind of what was written there as what it was said and looked at you know, if the Lord is my light and salvation, what what would it make sense to fear? What what do I fear? Why do I fear that? There's a lot of good questions to be had in a lot of that stuff. All right, move on to our final question here. Comes in anonymously and it says, I feel like I can't trust myself. I know I should trust God and not myself, but don't I have to trust my ability to trust in God? And a, a excellently, uh, an excellent, if a little delicately worded question, I think our question asker did quite good. Jed, where will we kick off with it? It's a great question. We're, we're glad that you wrote in. Um, I think that you may be freaking yourself out a little bit. Um, so let's, let's try and untangle that a bit. There's a lot of moments in the Bible where God calls someone to do something. He says, hey, you, go do this thing. And I think that when Christians think about trusting God, that, that's kind of what they have in mind, is that, that God would say, uh, hey, you, go to this country and do this thing. Um, and sure, God, God does reserve the right to do that. And I, I think that we have a tendency to think of, so if I trust God, I go, and if I don't trust God, I don't go, and that's you know uh, that that's this whole trust thing. And as as Glenn's going to look at in a minute, trust isn't really quite as binary as all that. But before we even get to that, we have a way. If if God was calling someone to do something, there would be the conversation about the thing that God is calling them to do. And then there would be a decision about whether or not to do the thing, or at the very least, the first step of the thing. And for, I think, a lot of Christians, we leave out completely the conversation element. We have just the decision thing without the conversation. And the interesting thing about that is we would know that would be a little bit of a weird way to look at things in any other realm of life. Like, if someone showed up on your door, door-to-door salesman, and they, they um, said, you know, I'm, I'm out because we're demoing, you know, new, new vacuum cleaners. Um, you know, I'd love to, to tell you about the features of, of this particular vacuum cleaner. We all know there would have to be some degree of conversation and explanation. No vacuum cleaner salesman would show up on your door and say, do you want to buy this? Do you trust me? Go decision now. Cause that's not how that works. That would be really, really weird. I mean, all sales is built on the idea of building a rapport and at least the perception of a relationship and a back and forth. But we, we have a sense when we think about God that God will just show up unannounced and demand that we go do something right now, brooking no dissent in the process. Well, that's it's an odd idea, and it's also critically not a biblical idea. When we look at, uh, there's a really good, well, there's good examples throughout the Bible, but there's a really good example when God calls Moses. Um, you can you can read this for yourself in Exodus chapters 3 and chapters 4, and there's this huge back and forth between God and Moses. Um, God is clearly calling Moses to do a thing. He wants him to go to a place, and he wants him to do a thing. But there's a whole discussion 
of all kinds of ins and outs related to this, of is Moses qualified for this? Can Moses even pull this off? Would anyone even listen if Moses went and did the thing? Is this a good idea? Is this dangerous? Would I need to bring a sandwich? I mean, there's a lot going on here. There's there's a lot of, of ins and outs and a lot of, of what have yous. And there's my favorite verse in the inv- entire Bible, which is Moses says, Oh Lord, send someone else. I just love that verse. I think that may be the most human thing in the entire Bible. But critically, the the really important part is there's this discussion. There's a conversation. There's not just a pronouncement from God. You, go do this. That's, you know, there's, there is a building of a rapport and a building of a relationship and, and a, 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 a full discussion of what God has in mind. Yes, at the very end of that, Moses does have a decision about... Are you going to take at least the very first step on this journey? That that much is true. But I think for a lot of us, we have a way of wanting to try and analyze whether or not we trust God generally, and it's hard to have general trust in anything. And then we want to say, well, would I go do this specific thing that God showed up and insisted I do, but without having a conversation with the Lord about this thing and why he wants it done and how it would work and what our role is in it and what he would expect of us. I think before we get into questions of can I trust God and can I trust myself and and this and that and the other thing, I think we want to look at learning how to have more conversations with God. I think we want to learn how to be more honest with God in the things that we tell him and how to be still and quiet and hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. I think we need to develop a conversational relationship with God. Yes, the Lord does want us to trust him. That is true. But building that trust is going to be so much easier so much more organic and makes so much more sense if it's the outgrowth of a conversational relationship with God rather than waiting for bolt from the blue instructions that cannot be discussed in any way. God wants to talk things through with you. Yeah, he does want you to trust him. He also wants to, to for you to learn to trust him, but that begins with developing that conversational relationship. I really hold out for the big gestures, and that's why I follow a pillow of fire to work every morning. <laughs> It really, really gets the traffic down. Uh, Glenn, uh, as Jed pointed out there, uh, we when we look at that idea of trust, there's this idea of kind of, there's, you know, you hit, you magically hit 51% and now I trust you. And if you dip back down to 50.5, I don't anymore. Yeah. Not really the way trust works, is it? No, and it's, it's not binary in that sense. And it's also, uh, you, there are many aspects to your life and you can trust God a whole lot in some, and not at all in others. Not at all in others. I I know some people, they they really trust God with their finances, but their sex life nowhere near is God. God doesn't really have any say so in that. I know people, vice for, versa. Vice versa. I mean, it's just and that doesn't make one bad or they're both bad or whatever. You know, we don't need to judge any of that. It's about recognizing that it's a process of learning to trust God in all these different areas of our life. So it's a journey. Uh, the, the idea of asking, am I trustworthy? Am I, am I trusting God? Am I not trusting God? These are, it's, it's, it's a points on a scale kind of thing. So we have to start there. Uh, I agree with Judd too, that, you know, he's, he's talking about Moses, but you know, the funny thing is if you look at almost any major certainly uh, uh you know old testament uh you know major figure there's a certain amount of i mean Jonah Elijah i mean just the list goes on of people saying i don't want to do that that's not you know it's not good. but the funny thing is i agree 100% with what Judd's saying there there's a conversation happening and the conversation is yielding something fruitful the yeah. wrestling is is creating positive results there so clearly that's a thing. But the funny thing is, I think most people aren't engaged in the conversation at all. And they're not looking to. They're saying wrestling with God in conversation would be disobedient. What what God is looking for is for me to obey and to do so blindly. Yes, sir. There isn't a lot of support from that in the actual Bible. <laughs> Uh, there isn't the Bible that my parents carefully edited. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, the Bible talks about counting the cost. The, yeah. the, the, you know, the, the Bible holds up as heroes of the faith, people who said, 
uh no god what no i don't that sounds crazy no uh like how would that even work you know this kind of thing so uh, i i think we have to to recognize that first comes the listening then comes the this uh, wrestling process and so forth uh then we are going to be stepping out in action on that now here's the funny thing um it, it, it's an old saying and i think for christians this sounds like a counterintuitive saying uh but it, it, there's there's an old saying that we cannot think our way into right actions but we can act our way into right thinking. Where Christians don't tend to think that way. They think, if I have all the right thoughts in my head, my actions will all be really holy. And the, just the idea of physically, bodily stepping out and doing this thing that seems crazy, and like a leap of faith, for example, that would seem like nothing good could come from that because I have all these doubts going on in the middle of that and it seems weird and I'm not sure about this whole process, but I'm doing it. That's actually what trust looks like. That's how that works. I trust you, God, but this does seem crazy. That This is how that would manifest itself. So having this attitude of... First, I'm going to listen, as Joe was pointing out. I'm going to hear what it is that God actually wants me to do, as opposed to the thing I think he wants me to do. And there's often a lot of variance there. Then I want to wrestle with God about that. Then I want to step out and act in it while still part of me thinks this is crazy. Then I'm going to develop a right thinking and right understanding off of that experience. I'm going to learn something. I'm going to see something. I'm going to see how this works and how it plays out. Off of that, long-term, I developed this thing called character. Aha! Once I have that sense of character, then trust flows out of that. I've been here a hundred times before. I wrestled with this a hundred times before. It's worked out a hundred times in a row. I doubted it a hundred times, and a hundred times it worked out fine. Eventually, you reach a point of character where you say, I probably shouldn't doubt this anymore. I probably should just go ahead and trust God in this situation. That's how trust works. But the idea I would go from zero trust to the end of that process of having full trust without working any of these steps in between, I think that's where Christians really struggle. That's a really, really good point. And it comes down to me to saying, you know, there's this weird thing of I know I should trust God and not myself, but don't I have to like, you know, Moses, he he pitched. Couldn't you send somebody else? You know, someone who can talk. Right. And uh, he got back the big negatory on that, so he eventually had to do it himself. But I think Glenn makes a really good point there about what you're actually trusting in. If you have uh, repeatable results on something, you're no longer really trusting yourself. That's right. If your doctor tells you, you know, take to take this medication this often and it will help, you're not really trusting your own evaluative process to take that advice. Yeah. You kind of take yourself out and say, well, is this, is this guy trustworthy or not? And that's really the, when it comes down to uh, trusting God, the first question is, do I think God is trustworthy or not? And it's going pointing out, it's never too far back in that process. To start wrestling with that, you know, mm -hmm. think, think that through. But then when we get to those points of non-trust, then we got to ask what's, what's blocking the natural outgrowth of deciding that God is trustworthy. What am I trying to hold on to? What am I trying to bargain with? And all this, mm -hmm. this good stuff these guys gave you. All right. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. We'll have a little Lee Younger this week. We're in the Lenten season. This is a handed a song of liturgy that Lee put out several years ago, also featured in this month's Bridgebox, called Lamb of God. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. The Say That Podcast, we're the perfect thing to play in the background during yoga, especially if you want to go full pretzel. <laughs> Lamb of God.